she changes the signs to be jumbo eggs, humongous <laughs> eggs. And then they start slowly exaggerating. Oh, that American ingenuity, Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lying about your yes. products. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. stop between here and London. Are we licked? Of course not. Give chase priory. We must flag them down somehow. Hello! Hi, everybody! It's Recotopia 68, and I am joined here this week with Aaron Dicer. Hi, Dilly Host, Um, And we want to take time to acknowledge the chat like we do every start of the show. Thank Look you at them guys all. Look at them all popping out. in. Popping in. We did, uh, we did come at you. At a uh, not normal time, we're three hours later than we normally record. So, uh, and this isn't like a new normal. This was just for today. We'll be we'll be correct. back to the regular time. That is correct. At the end of today's show, I will sort of explain to you how this weirdness came down. But let's start things off with the small recommends as we do every week. Aaron, do you have any small recommends for us today? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. Oh. Do I? Um, I think I'm going to start with, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson for my small recommends. Um, This is a comedy sketch show that is entering its third season just dropped on Netflix. And uh, I watched the first season binged them all in a row because I was having a good time. It was hilarious. When the second season came out, I was like, gotta watch this again. It was even better. Like I thought like it went up a level. So I'm excited. I have not watched the third season, but I wanted to put it as a small recommend because it feels like sketch comedy is kind of at a place where it's like SNL is SNL. It's always going to be like one good sketch and then several you're like, eh. And then there's hardly anything else that people really talk about. Um, you know, there isn't like a key or peel that I know about that's, you know, going on, uh, like that kind of stuff. And I think this is it. I think this is the one that if more people were aware of, they really might enjoy. Um, it's absurdist comedy in some ways. It's also often very memed. If you're online at all, you will see, uh, like I think the the hot dog suit uh, sketch has been memed quite a bit, uh, which, is a, which is a sketch where the hot dog truck has wrecked into a clothing building and everybody's standing around like, what happened? And one guy's in a hot dog suit and he just keeps saying, I don't know who did this. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Like there's just some, there's some really funny ideas and some real fun uh, with I Think You Should Leave. So um, Tim Robinson uh, is cracking me up. So I thought, I, I thought I'd mention it. I've seen two or three times. I'm positive it's from this show where it's a courtroom setting and they're reading into the record text messages between two employees Mm -hmm. and it's about like the case and then it devolves into oh my god did you see tim's hat what the hell is he wearing (laughs) and it slowly pans over to the back of the courtroom and their co-workers sit back there with it's maybe a shirt not a hat but he's wearing something Uh really goofy and the whole rest of the court transcript is about how stupid he looks um (laughs) and i thought it was very funny and at the time i did not know where it came from until i saw this guy's face that you just put up here on this thing so i'm a 
helicopter took us out. There was also recently uh, the end of Succession happened, and uh, there's basically this scene that matched kind of the idea of one of the sketches and somebody has kind of in CinemaSins outtake style uh, dubbed over that sketch to the succession finale and it's so perfect. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, you'll just see this show kind of work its way into pop culture, but I don't think a lot of people are like consciously consuming it. So I wanted to give it give it a shout out. I'm gonna surprise the chat by uh, coming out of the, the gate with a food-based recommend for my first small recommend. <laughs> Um, I can see how surprised you are, but if you're expecting it to be Mountain Dew, you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> Instead of Mountain Dew, this time it's Sprite. So different. Sprite <laughs> has released a temporary new summertime flavor that they are calling Sprite Limonade Legacy, which is a really dumb name for what is essentially <laughs> Strawberry Lemonade Sprite. Um, right. They have released Lemonade Sprite before, and it was pretty good. And this Strawberry Lemonade Sprite is also pretty good. What you have to remember with these lemonade combos, because Canada Dry has like a ginger ale lemonade as well, is that it really is kind of half and half. This one is not as uh, fizzy as a typical Sprite would be. Uh, and it really is kind of like a lemonade blended with Sprite. The hell hint of strawberries. They don't have a zero sugar version, which is shameful. But mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Look for it in your gas stations and local supermarket, and I hope that you enjoy it. I love flavored lemonades. It's one of my favorite things. Like a good peach lemonade is amazing. Um, one of my favorites is an Arnold Palmer. Like just doing like unsweet tea with lemonade, like, and that's really nice because unsweet tea has like no calories. Right. So, you know, to throw that in some lemonade, you get like this nice filling 60 calorie drink, like, and mm -hmm. you feel like you're drinking something sweet. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I dig it. All right. What, what's your second small recommend for the week? This is, this is just a list of shame catch up uh, movie that many of you have probably seen and already know is awesome, but I'm going to... Uh, join those uh, who now know this is awesome. I saw Rebel Without a Cause for the first time. Nice. And I had seen Dean in Giant, I think. I'd, I'd watched Giant and and thought he was amazing in that. Knew I had to get around to this eventually. Um, and I'm so glad I did. This movie's incredible. There's some camera stuff going on in this movie that I I didn't... It feels very modern. There's a a shot, a literal shot, towards the end uh, that where the camera follows a character that has been shot that I was not prepared. Like, I literally gasped when it happened. And I just think there's some really interesting things that are done in this in addition to all the iconic stuff you know that you know whether it be from la la land i got the bullets <laughs> you know uh this is where all that comes from so um it's incredible stuff really yeah. beautiful movie yeah he was you know, taken from us too soon another one of those mm -hmm. talents that you wonder what kind of career he could have had if his life hadn't been cut short yeah he was incredible i haven't seen this in ages i think i probably saw this in like 1997. Well, uh, the other part of it is now that I've been to uh, the observatory, Griffith Observatory, a yeah. few times in LA, a lot of this movie is at the observatory. First, they're they're there for a planetarium show, and then like the finale takes place at the observatory, and I think there's mm -hmm. one other scene that takes place there too. And I'm just like, I've I I've been to all these places. I know where that. I've stood there, you know, so yeah, it's which again, La La Land also uses uh, the yep. observatory for one of its scenes. Um, Whenever that happens, if there's something appears on the television, 
like the Griffith Observatory where mm-hmm. I have been in real life, uh, I will always say to my wife, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if she finds it as amusing as I do, but... Uh, it's interesting. With the uh, The last time my wife and I were there, we decided to do a hike. And you can do a hike up to the letters. Like there's a pathway to get up behind them if you yeah. want to. But there's a turnoff where we decided not to go up to the letters completely, but to turn off and go down this other road because it goes down to what's called Kathy's Corner. Okay. And a lot of people don't know about this. But Kathy's Corner is where they shot uh, What a Waste of a, a, love, a Lovely Night from La La Land. It's that oh. corner where it just kind of overlooks parts of the city nice. or whatever. And so, yeah, we decided to kind of go the other direction and find Kathy's Corner and uh, and do that. So it's Did kind you of a recreate fun part. the scene then? Did you do the oh, song? Of course, yeah. of course, I yes. We, we pretended like uh, each other were a terrible uh, part of our evening. Yes, that's what yes. we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to small recommend something. I'm pretty sure Chris has previously small recommended recommended on this podcast but he's not here today and he can't stop me uh that is season two of the white lotus i'm back on my bullshit where i have now watched a sequel before watching the original i have not seen season one of white lotus thankfully for me this is an anthology show and there are only i believe two characters in season two that were in season one is this a show you've seen aaron i've seen both seasons uh okay. i wasn't aware of the second character i know jennifer tilly's in both seasons I, but uh, her husband in the second season is apparently appears oh, in the yeah, first yeah, season yeah, yeah, yeah. As yes a correct yeah you're correct you're correct yeah i really am not sure what to make of the show and, and here's why i'm recommending it i could not stop watching they, <laughs> they put enough. it on a marathon on one of these HBOs, I was flipping channels. It was an hour and a half before the baseball game I wanted to watch. So I said, I'll watch an episode of White Lotus. I didn't watch the baseball game, kids. I just kept <laughs> watching the White Lotus because this show, I think, could be sold best as uh, sexy, rich people behaving weirdly. I assume in both seasons there's a murder and a mystery, but I didn't find that remotely as engaging as trying to guess what these weird bastards were going to do next mm-hmm. because they're weird bastards and they all have quirks and it's fun to laugh at rich people suffering when they are this rich. Uh, there's a lot There's a lot of great characters. F. Murray Abraham is maybe one of my favorite. He's playing just this old, lecherous, purry, horny grandpa. Jennifer Coolidge is, is always delightful. Um, Theo James is pretty yeah, interesting. I think I said Tilly. I obviously meant Coolidge, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't even catch that. Uh, Theo James, who I only knew from whatever that post-apocalyptic teen series was, Mm -hmm. but he's got a lot of range that I did not expect. And Aubrey Plaza, playing Aubrey Plaza. And uh, yeah, I was riveted. I don't don't know if it's great. I really don't. I think Uh, it's great. I think it's great. I think it's really... It's it's really observational in a way that is somehow both satirical and authentic at the same time. Like there's an edge to it that I think Mike White brings to the whole thing that is is really interesting. By the way, Mike White was on a, a season of Survivor. He was a Survivor player on one of, the, this. one of the, one of the seasons, and he kind of credits that time as to the genesis of this idea of you know. Uh, murder mystery on a beach is kind of where it started for him, but it became something more uh, along the lines of what you're talking about with exploring socioeconomical stuff and and that kind of thing. But yeah, both seasons have started with a at least a dead body 
and then kind of gotten us to the place. Um, most people will say season two is better. I think season one's better, but that's mm. I'm, I'm kind of in the minority uh, of that. But I think some of the stuff that happens in season one is uh, is funnier than anything that happens in season uh, two. And there's well, some good again, comedy in season two. So. There's, it, it has laughs, but I, I, didn't, I didn't think I was watching a comedy. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I was just watching people do weird shit and I was, <laughs> I was riveted i wanted to know where everybody was going to end up and i think yep. that's a sign of good storytelling i agree all right it is now time for us to move into the big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed uh i chose the movie this time and it is candle shoe and boy did i have fun reliving this movie i from age nine to about age 14. I probably watched this movie 50 to 100 times. I had about four movies taped off TV uh, with commercials. Kids probably don't know what that's like. But <laughs> this movie, um, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Back to the Future. Oh, man. VHS recordings off TV. That was that was my life. Oh, yeah. And like you would you knew who in the family was better at stopping the, the fast forward right at the end of the commercials so that you wouldn't have to rewind because you missed the part of the beginning of the... Anyway, I watched this movie over and over and over again and then promptly didn't watch it for 25, 30 years and then came back to it on Sunday and I had a really good time. It's, it's quite a wild experience though because there are whole scenes that I'm like, I don't remember any of this. And then there's entire scenes where I was quoting the dialogue right. with them. And my memory is completely Swiss cheesed. Um, all right, Candle yeah, but, Shoe. But Jeremy, that could be because those scenes weren't in the version you saw. That's the thing about taping stuff off TV back in our this day. Is true. This is they true. would take scenes out and put commercials in. Mm -hmm. So, like, I have those movies where I will watch them and know them by heart, and then a scene will come up, and I'm like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's because they literally took it out. Plus, it was, you know, formatted 4 3. So, yep. like, you know, like, it's just, it's really interesting to watch these movies of our childhood. Uh, uh, you know, kind of restored. This is um, two of Disney's favorite stars, uh, Helen Hayes in what I believe was her last movie with Disney and um, Jodie Foster in one of her first movies, uh, period. Um, and Jodie Foster is playing Casey. She's a young street tough on the streets of, it looks like New York, but it's L.A., and we see her and her gang friends steal a basketball from some older kids only to throw it in the garbage because they don't need it. Because they don't care. <laughs> I, I literally wrote, they're bad kids. <laughs> they're just going to throw that basketball away. It meant something to someone, but not them. Not them. <laughs> they're street toughs. Uh, they steal fruit. Uh, uh, and then after a day of minor crime, she goes home to her foster parents who are terrible people who have literally just accepted cash from a strange man who has no credentials. Uh, his name is Harry Bundage, and he looks at a scar on Casey's shoulder, likes what he sees, and then says, hey, you're mine now. We're off and takes her to a hotel, <laughs> makes her take a bath and clean up and then basically gives her the 411. Here's the deal. There's this rich family in England, and we think there's a treasure buried there because their ancestor was a pirate who said he buried a treasure there. <laughs> this place is called Candleshoe, and you are exactly the right age and have exactly the right kind of scar of this woman's, this noble woman's missing, long-lost granddaughter. So we're going to go over there. 
pretend that you're the missing granddaughter and then you'll get in good with the family and then you can be my eyes and ears in the mansion looking for the treasure. She's a street kid. She's a criminal. She's not stupid. So she she barters for a take. She barters for a piece of the take. She's going to get 10% and a red Ferrari. Um, <laughs> I, I do wish the red Ferrari had paid off. I wish we could have seen that at some point in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. So they go to England, and this is where we meet Clara. This is Harry's cousin. Could have been his girlfriend. I'm not sure why it's his cousin. They are scheme collaborators. Uh, she used to work at Candleshoe. She was a maid. She got fired, but she actually insists that she quit. But she's the one who discovered this first clue that they have as to the location of the treasure. And so they prep her. They prep Casey on. Here's everything... And this is one silly part of the movie for me because I feel like a three-year-old's taste and a 14-year-old's taste could change. Like, it's so funny, right? Like that she like, was kidding. You love rice pudding. And I'm like, like, how do you okay. even know at that age? Okay. <laughs> the, the allergic to strawberries one makes sense. Yes. You have to, you know, that doesn't go away. Uh, but so they go over well, like technically, I mean, technically allergies do wane. That is yes, definitely something that can happen. Yeah, they can. They tell her about her favorite stuffed animals and their names. And again, if I've been missing for 11 years and I'm living on the streets of New York, I probably don't remember the names of my stuffed animals from when I was a toddler. But hey. the, the other thing about the food is it's like. Here are the things you don't like, and it's like all the most disgusting foods that nobody would like. And here's the thing you do, and it's like the best foods ever. And it's like, I don't know that you need to have have this conversation. (laughs) You don't like Brussels sprouts. Well, who does? You love ice cream. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Twist my arm. Um, So they just he calls. Actually, I think he writes a letter. Mm Mm-hmm. So the lady at Candleshoe and says, hey, I think I've got your kid. She's like, well, it wouldn't be the first. You won't be the last, but bring the kid out and I'll meet her. So they go to meet the lady of Candleshoe. And this is where our friend and coworker Ian nearly had. Um, <laughs> I was sitting right next to him. So. A heart attack because they offer her tea and she doesn't drink tea. She's a little kid. And then the butler says, how about lemonade? She's like, yeah. And then they bring her what Ian insists is American lemonade. And apparently in England, when you say lemonade, you mean Sprite. Ironically, mm-hmm. I talked about Sprite earlier in the episode. I promise this episode is not sponsored by Sprite. Also, um, that Sprite that you talked about was a lemonade, which is really interesting. That is really interesting. <laughs> so uh, they bring her a lemonade. They offer her some. He, he thinks he's being sneaky, but he offers her some strawberries. And she says, oh, I'd love to, but I break out. And uh, he offers her some rice pudding. And she's like, oh, my favorite, even though she hates it. And she keeps staring at the fireplace because Casey, probably the smartest person in the room, the entire film. Um, And she knows that it's not going to be mere food facts that wins this lady over. Finally, she gets asked about, why are you staring at my fireplace? She's like, I used to remember a fireplace kind of like this, but there was like a missing brick. And we used to hide stuff in there. Well, anyway, I don't think I'm your grandkid. We're going to go now. <laughs> nice and reverse psychology. She does the reverse psychology very well. They go outside. They get in the car. In that meantime, she's had the butler check for a missing brick. He finds a missing chunk of rock. And behind it is a music box. And, of course, Casey has been taught Green Sleeves, which is a song you need to be taught. And uh, she sings it a little bit and then opens the music box. And that settles the deal. 
Uh, the old lady weeps for joy. Um, we see even Harry go back to his cousin Clara, and he's he's like, I'm packing up her things. She didn't want to let her leave the house. <laughs> um, so they're over the moon. And uh, the next morning, Casey doesn't really know what life is like in Candleshoe. So she goes downstairs and meets the other kids in the kitchen, where, in my opinion, the single most British thing in this movie happens, where the little boy says catch and throws a jar of marmalade off the shelf and Casey catches it. And the older British boy goes, well held. <laughs> um, and I couldn't stop giggling when I was watching that. Uh, Is that a well, golf term? I think that's an English golf term too. Like if you make a, a ball stop on the green or whatever, like they say, well oh, held or something like interesting. that. Interesting. I just thought it was a British way of saying you didn't drop it. Um, <laughs> Uh, she also discovers that the butler and all the adopted children are fooling the old lady as the butler is playing multiple characters uh, here at this uh, grounds. Mm -hmm. And we meet the gardener, Gipping, uh, which is just the butler, Priory, even though, honestly, she calls him Priory a few times, too, which is a little weird. And uh, that's more just of a charming look at how they keep this ruse up for the old lady, but also um, a way for us to learn they don't have the money that they project to have. We're, we learn he's also playing the driver uh, and, a, and a colonel that comes for tea. Um, he had to let all the staff go because they couldn't afford them. And they go to town and they sell some of their eggs and their fruits and vegetables, and that's how they pay their rent. Uh, they also give tours. Uh, but they're running out of money is basically the point. And that's why he's playing several different roles is because they don't have the money to pay anybody. Right. Yeah, that, that, gard, that gardener, I just kept thinking of Groundskeeper Willie because it's like that oh, cranky yeah. Scottish, yeah. like, you know, it's it just anyways, it made me laugh. I uh, I think David Niven is having a blast in this movie yeah. uh, and is clearly one of the funnest things about it. Uh, the second night she sneaks out of her room because she knows the clue is about a sunrise at the library. She goes to the library at midnight, which is odd because sunrise is usually later in the, in the morning. Uh, and she, of course, is just opening books, looking for mm -hmm. a clue, a physical piece of paper clue. Uh, she falls asleep. She wakes up at perfect sunrise. And lo and behold, the stained glass window is shining a new clue on the wall uh, that you can only see in this spot at this time of day. And so now she's got the next clue. And it has to do with Thomas Gray, a poet, uh, and a, an elegy in a country churchyard, which is probably... Of the phrase I remember most from watching this movie repeatedly over and over again as a kid, it's elegy in a country churchyard. When uh, the driver comes to take her for a daily, I don't know where the hell she's going. Uh, <laughs> the kids have a fight. Clooney uh, is one of the girls that's been, basically this woman has adopted a bunch of kids after her own granddaughter disappeared. Uh, Clooney doesn't trust Casey. She's maybe the only other person as smart as Casey. She sees right through Casey. And she tries to get Casey to help them do the chores you can peel the potatoes and she's like screw you i'm not doing any of that i got this book i'm going after treasure and they have a huge fight and this is how she ends up endearing herself to the kids is that when her scar and bruises are discovered by the woman at dinner um she does not uh tell the truth and sell out Clooney. she says i tripped and fell and that endears her to the other kids uh and she has earned some credit the next morning is when uh, we have, oh, actually, wait, no, it, later that night, she sneaks out to go to the graveyard uh, to try and investigate the next clue. Harry and Clara are there completely trespassing in the dead of night because they have also figured out that we've got to go to this uh, this grave, you know, graveyard to look for the next clue. They realize the next clue has to do with an eclipse. 
Uh, that's what they get. They find, I think, Thomas Gray's gravestone, and then the clue is basically having to do with an eclipse. So that's the next thing they have to look for. The next day, the colonel comes for tea. This is another persona that Pryor is playing. And Casey pranks him. She knows he hates horses, but she also knows that the colonel brags about being on horses. And there's a funny scene where she, the horse gets smacked and takes off with the butler. Blah, 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 blah. Then they go to the market. They got to sell their eggs. They got to sell a lot of eggs. They didn't do very good on the tours. And they, are, they got taxes they got to owe. But Casey has really good street smarts. And she realizes they have bad salesmanship. And so instead of selling small and medium and large eggs, she changes the signs to be jumbo eggs, <laughs> humongous <laughs> eggs. And then they start slowly exaggerating. Oh, that American ingenuity, Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lying about your yes. product. Um, they start exaggerating, you know, the biggest tomatoes you ever saw, healing powers, guaranteed. And they sell like gangbusters. They've got enough. They're going to be able to pay oh, the taxes. Good, good thing you bought, the, you know, these eggs, because I don't know if there'll be any here, you know, later. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, I'll take two then. Uh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Good sales tactic. Um, there's a storm coming. It's one of the fastest rising storms in all of film history. Uh, <laughs> but he, Priory, hands the money to Casey and says, take this. The, the old lady will be at home. The power will be out. She'll be scared. Uh, I'm, for some reason, giving you the money to go keep the old lady company when I could just hold on to the money as an adult myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, Casey ends up running into Harry, who's losing patience and thinks that she should have found the treasure. And he steals the money that the family earned from the market. She chases him, but she ends up unconscious and she wakes up in a hospital bed. And then we move to the lady in Priory packing up the house and she wants to have one last dance. And in what I think is a pretty sweet scene, when the butler uh, demures, says, well, would the colonel be willing to dance with me? And reveals that she's known all along that her butler... I think it's the best moment in the movie. It's I my agree. favorite moment in the movie. I agree. Uh, and they share a nice little waltz, just a sweet little moment. And the kids come to see Casey at the hospital. And ultimately, she feels so guilty um, because she's got a pretty good character arc. But she ultimately confesses to them and to off screen to Grandma and Priory. And we find them in the graveyard together showing the clue and something about the eclipse and immediately granny knows what that is the eclipse was his ship there's a painting of it and hanging in the great hall oh no there's not shit we just sold all of our <laughs> stuff because we're poor and they go to the guy they sold the painting to and if ever there was a movie that did not need a car chase it's this movie but i appreciate this car chase because it's not really like it's a train chase it really is <laughs> he's chasing a train through winding country roads in an old ass awesome automobile with interesting colors and you know you have to believe this man knows the countryside well enough and they do eventually get to in front of the train they park on the train this is how you stop trains by the way <laughs> um and they look at the painting they don't even need to like take it they just need to look at it and that's where they realize, oh, my God, the treasure's back in the Great Hall where we should have realized it was all along. Let's go back there. And they go back there and uh, they find Harry and his goons uh, who have also decided we're just they, they've sold the house. They sold all their stuff. We're going to come in and break everything looking for this treasure. Uh, and uh, one of the most typical Disney fights in a live action movie you will ever see takes place where little children can bop grown-ass adults on the head with a basket and they go flying like they're unconscious uh and there's no threat and i don't care there shouldn't be uh the kids need to be able to win the day all along and of course because of some of this fracas uh the great uh 
balcony falls and there's a statue of the old ancestor and gold coins start falling out of him and aha you old rascal we found the treasure and the final scene is casey at the train station she snuck out of candle shoe she knows she's not the granddaughter doesn't believe she is the movie actually never says. Um, I found that interesting that the movie yeah. never never confirms or denies. It makes me wonder if there's a scene on the cutting room floor somewhere yeah. or if it's truly, it's almost more lyrical to have the grandmother say, I don't care. You're my granddaughter now. Um, right. And I like that. But yeah, the movie doesn't say. So Casey's going to go back to LA, but then grandma shows up and basically says, hey, you're part of the family and we'll always have a spot for you. Well, Casey cries for the first time in her entire life, which I don't believe. And uh, they return to Candleshoe, presumably, to live happily ever after with all the rest of the little British brats. Um, Aaron Dicer, this was yes. not your first view through Candleshoe. No. No, what did you second. think of it this time around? But my first view was uh, as a middle-aged man. Like It wasn't like when I was a kid. I never saw this movie when I, uh, I was a kid. I saw this movie because you uh, chatted about it a couple years ago and it was during pandemic and uh i had a list of movies i was watching so i added candle shoe to that list and uh enjoyed it then and i enjoyed it this week when i watched it again um i just think it's you know there's something about those old disney movies uh that really i and i shouldn't just say old ones some of the new ones do the same thing but they really understood how to uh tell a story that was uplifting and fun and you know captivating um and i think a movie today the difference is that a studio would try to make it more for adults like it mm. seems like most kids movies or family movies and this is maybe a pixar effect even they they try to operate on every level so that like adult can go and feel deep emotions and and cry about something and a kid can go and have a good time with the pratfalls and the laughs or whatever and disney back in the day especially it they really were making kids movies they were making movies for you know that six to twelve year old range and uh and that's what this movie is and i i think it it works as that um I love Helen Hayes. Uh, I remember uh, the other movie right around here that I've seen her in is the Herbie movie. I think it's Herbie Rides Again. Mm. Um, she's in that, and that was one I had on repeat, like uh, growing up. So, um, you know, she's very familiar to me. I love David Niven. Um, I thought it was really interesting to see Jodie Foster as a child actor. Um, you know, you can she's see why, like, you can see the talent there, even at this young age. That she's. Yeah on another level all these other kids in this movie are fine but she's acting circles around them <clears throat> it's interesting too because one of the things i read was that the original uh director of this movie left because they were casting jodie foster wow like really it, because he felt like they were trying to cash in on a hot young you know actor or whatever and he he had somebody else in mind for the role and like literally meant so much to him he he ditched it uh, so they they had to find somebody else, uh, which I, I thought was interesting. Uh, the story is Anastasia, right? It is. Like it's it's directly it in, and maybe that's part of the reason they don't find out at the end. They don't. Well, we don't want to copy Anastasia, you know, word for word. <laughs> so we'll leave the, the ending uh, ambiguous. But it's just it's just a fun time. The the you know any any time there's a, a mystery to be solved by kids. I don't know. I'm just I'm having fun with that. Um, and I love clues and I felt, I felt like the clues here were, were good enough. Like they weren't, you know, 
uh, intricate or you know intellectual, but they they were interesting enough. At the end of the day, uh, those clues had nothing to do with how how they found the gold and in right. fact nobody needed a single clue because oh. those guys those guys were going to go in there they were going to tear the house apart and they would have found that gold they did absolutely. not need a single clue to, to, to do absolutely. so absolutely <laughs> but if, if, had they known the family was running out of money that probably would have been their plan just wait right. but they thought the family's never going anywhere and we got to get an inside man right right oh man uh so yeah i had a lovely time uh, um, with jody foster according to imdb only had three weeks break between the yeah. end of Freaky Friday and the start of Candle Shoot. And that Freaky is a hard... Friday's great too. That's another great one. Yeah, yeah um, it is. Yeah. But she's at the time she made Candle Shoe, she really is 14. She's 15 by the time it comes out. So she's a hard working 14 year old. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, I came away super impressed with her and with David Niven. Uh, and I can totally see why nine-year-old Jeremy uh, fell in love with this movie and watched mm-hmm. it over and over again. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I wouldn't have had access to, you know, similar like movies that I'm seeing over here in the potential uh, super secret double feature mm. uh, nominated by the chat. I wouldn't have had. I didn't have access to stuff like like the Goonies. I, I wouldn't have been allowed to watch that until I don't know. Right. Why. It's just my parents made weird decisions. Um, <laughs> all right. Anything else we want to say about Candle Shoe before we dive into these super secret double features? Um, no, I think we kind of covered it. I think there's a place for these kind of movies. Now, I'm going to say something maybe a little bit hot takey, controversial. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the Super Mario Brothers movie is kind of this style of... Look, it's for the kids. Like we're, you know, we're we're not trying to make something deep and meaningful and and interesting for the adults that are bringing their kids. We're literally making a kids movie, um, and I think I think you're going to see a little bit of a return to that. Uh, well, yes, because people who make movies care about only one thing, <laughs> and that movie Mario made over a billion dollars. So wild! Yeah, it's, it's wild, and it started that sort of renewed discourse about. Mm-hmm. I think I saw a lot of think pieces. Should adults even review kids' movies? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they should. But uh, they should be able to view it as what it is uh, mm-hmm. and not right. Uh, right. something that it is not. Um, so, all right, let's hear what this week's super secret double feature is from Aaron Dicer. Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. <laughs> Ah, man, I kind of went back and forth on some stuff. I saw some people mention Sky Kid, uh, Spy Kids. I just got Sky High and Spy Kids mixed up. Uh, Spy Kids, which, which I definitely, kids. Uh, definitely thought about. Um, but where I ended up landing uh, was a more recent uh, movie called Enola Holmes. Um, oh, nice. I really, really like this movie. Um, and I think uh, I was disappointed in the second one. I'll just say that before I kind of focus in on this one, because the second one made Sherlock a much bigger part of the story. Uh, and the reason I like the first one is because, you know, Sherlock was a periphery character. We've had enough Sherlock Holmes stories. So to kind of have Enola, you know, be the hero and and all those kind of things, um, I really, really enjoy. But it kind of gives me that same vibe of, you know, uh, problem solving adventure, uh, young female protagonist. Yeah. She's also on a journey of discovery about who she is and, and what that means in her life. And um, 
Yeah, highly recommended Nola Holmes, uh, um, and I think it would be a good double feature with this. My wife loves both of these movies um, and hopes they keep making them. And of course, um, what is her name? Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah, Millie Bobby Brown. She's mm-hmm. going to be a star. Uh, Stranger Things alone probably mm-hmm. proved that. Um, but yeah, she's really charming. I watched part of the first one uh, with my wife. And I think that is a strong, strong double feature. Some of the other ones thrown out here in the chat. Um, Goonies was very frequent. Home Alone. Uh, mm-hmm. Bad Santa. <laughs> bad Santa. <laughs> uh, National Treasure. Parent Trap. Oliver and Company. These all are good Um uh, Holes, holes is a good choice too, yeah. Um, holes is a really good choice, and uh, you know another. You know, Shia's got some baggage today, but at the time yeah, he made that sure. movie, he's like fourteen and, and just ran circles around the rest of mm-hmm. that cast, other than yeah. Sigourney Weaver. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about next week's homework because we have a little bit of a unique situation in that nobody is truly choosing next week's homework. Fate has chosen next week's homework, <laughs> uh, a movie that I small recommended three weeks ago. Uh, the Artifice Girl uh, is going to be your big recommend for next week. Um, this can only be rented or bought on Amazon, iTunes, and Vudu, I believe. If you are really strapped, hit me up on Discord and I can try and help you. Uh, get that rental fee uh, because I really want you to watch this movie. And the reason is our guest is going to be the writer, director, and star of The Artifice Girl, Franklin Rich. And I can tell you it's going to be a kick-ass podcast because we recorded it this morning and it was (laughs) kick-ass. And next week uh, at 11, the normal live streaming time, we will broadcast this to you guys. And I will come in here as a chatter Uh, and chat with you guys as we watch that episode together next Tuesday at 11. This movie blew me away. Uh, Aaron and Chris both really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the the guy who made it, uh, Franklin, is just a really cool guy uh, with a lot of really good insight to filmmaking uh, and was just gracious to give us almost an hour and a half of his day today. Uh, he was a CinemaSins fan in college. So uh, lots of love flying around on this podcast. Please yeah. try and find The Artifice Girl and watch it for next week. And I will join you in the chat for our discussion. Yeah. Uh, we do have time for a few questions. We're going to be a little short on today's episode, but that's probably a function of the fact that Aaron and I have already recorded another podcast today and may <laughs> just be a little tired. Um, <clears throat> so let's efficient. get through a few questions. We're just efficient, Jeremy. We're just efficient. efficient. That's the better way to say it. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Uh, what is your favorite movie about a person who sucks? The original question actually said a guy who sucks, but I wanted to make sure mm. that we left it open for all uh, all characters to be sucky, uh, not just male characters. Aaron, do you have an answer for this question? I totally missed this question. Um, oh, no. I yeah, I I totally did not see this one in the uh, in the the prep. Um, okay, well I'll give mine and you can ponder or we'll move on. Uh, there's a lot of good options. A lot of movies have characters that suck. I decided that currently I'm going to go with Nightcrawler, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie that I think is incredibly well acted and gripping, and there's almost no one in that movie to like. Almost no one. Um, yeah. It's full of people who are sucky. Um, but, uh, you know, people don't have to be good people for a movie to be good. 
So I, I love this conversation, by the way. Uh, we, we live in an age where, especially on television, uh, you know, Breaking Bad is kind of often seen as the start of this anti-hero television movement. And anti-heroes are interesting. I, I've talked often about how uh, sometimes when I don't have somebody to root for, it's hard for me to get invested. But people aren't the only things you can invest in in movies. You can invest in the story you can invest in the consequences like you know there's all sorts of ways uh to to get involved um in those things so uh so yeah i, I find this a, a a very compelling um idea you know? i think i figured out the problem yeah i think i sent you a set of questions and then separately wrote another set of questions <laughs> that I did not share with you. Well, that makes a lot of sense because I, I couldn't find that question anywhere. Okay, so now that I've found the correct ones, uh, let's go on to the next question. Sure. <laughs> hey, we have, we're, we're gonna have some, we're gonna break a few eggs on the way to this omelet. That's just how it's gonna be. Um, do you guys take suggestions for sins videos? Is that something that you were prepared to answer, Aaron? Yes, yes. yeah, it's at least the question I was prepared for, yes. Good, yes. excellent. Um, Yes, uh, on the main channel, uh, we get so many that it's it's very hard to feel like we're taking any one person's suggestion and turning it into a sins video. Uh, but we certainly do hit every month or so when Aaron and Chris are making the schedule, we'll hit a day where we're like, we don't really have anything that makes sense to go here. What's a movie we've never sinned before? And in those instances, uh, feedback from people like you, whether it's on Twitter and here or comments under the video, is something that we definitely pay attention to. Uh, and Aaron, I think TV sins is the same way, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons we choose uh, what we choose, but we take very seriously uh, requests, um, you know, and there's lots of different places to get them too. Uh, I think we see them most prominently uh, in our sin club, you know, is, is a great place where uh, we'll, we'll see them comments, you know, uh, less or so, but we do see them there sometimes. But, but yeah, we, we absolutely um, are more than happy to take suggestions. But like Jeremy said, uh, we get so many of them um, that, you know, it, it may seem like uh, we're not paying attention, but we are, we are. Um, this is what happens when Jeremy hosts. Thank you, Slab, for having my back. Um, <laughs> why was Scream 3 removed for copyright while 1, 2, 4, and 5 are still up? I never got to see it. I'm just curious what was different with that particular video. And as I said in my prep answers, you figure out why it's not there, and I'll send you a signed T-shirt. We don't know. <laughs> copyright on YouTube is weird, but Aaron has your answer. Aaron has the true path for you. And what is that, Aaron? It's the Sin Club, man. Uh, anything that, that can't live on YouTube lives for the Sin Club. Um, I I don't believe I'm wrong in saying every single movie we've ever sinned uh, is available uh, somewhere. And many of those uh, are on the Sin Club. Um, so especially- And the reason for that, folks, if you, if you want the truth is simply that we can upload videos directly to Patreon now where the Sin Club lives. Um, so if it, if the YouTube's copyright system has blocked something, uh, we're still able to upload it to uh, the Sin Club for those viewers because there is not anywhere near as robust and aggravating copyright system over there at that place. 
Um, all right, let's do another one. Uh, so what are some quotes from non-major characters that you'd say do more for the movie than what's said by the major characters? That's a deep thought. The very first thing I thought of was I'll have what she's having from uh, when Harry met, met Sally. Uh, that is, I think, sold uh, a lot of people uh, on that movie, and it is one of the greatest quotes of all time. And it's not only not a main character; it's barely a character. It's yep. you know, it's yep. literally Billy Crystal's mom, right? Or or the director's oh, mom? It? Or it's, I think it's the director's mom. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so that was what came to mind. And then there, I have always thought the heart of Finding Nemo is actually summed up by uh, Crush. Hmm. Uh, in the scene where Marlon uh, asks him how you know when they're ready, which this is a movie about as a parent. Like, how do you know when to give your kids independence? And Crush's answer, well, you never really know, but when they know, you know, you know? Uh, <laughs> and I just think that's the greatest quote. And it's true. It's true. It sounds confusing, but when you really think about it, it's kind of the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to figure that out in some ways and then you just pay attention. Um, but yeah, uh, anyways, so those are my answers. Yeah. Um, I'm going with Steve Buscemi in Armageddon where he says, you know, we're sitting on 4 million pounds of fuel, one nuclear weapon, and a thing that has 270,000 moving parts built by the lowest bidder. Um, which has always been the most memorable line. I know a lot of people like Owen Wilson's lines in that movie and I don't hate them. They're great. Mm -hmm. but that Steve Buscemi line has always stuck out to me because it's, it's absurdly true. Like, that's how NASA works. Like, mm -hmm. the lowest bidder. Now, NASA puts a lot of science into it, and these rockets in this movie were hastily built. But still, the idea that we're, the lowest bidder gets the job, this happens on your roads, in your neighborhoods, people. This is why you have potholes. I'm really getting off track. Um, <laughs> you don't realize how much of a rudder Chris is until he disappears. Um, let's do one more question, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. Well, before you, before you get to that question, I did want to mention, I really like this answer from Polly Walnuts, uh, who uh, says the always be closing speech from Glengarry Glenn Ross. Y you often don't think of Alec uh, Baldwin being a secondary character in that movie, but he is. I mean, he's, you know, just barely there for the, the opening. And then, he's not uh, even in the original script. He yeah. wanted to play the Pacino role, but they got Pacino. So Mamet wrote an entirely new part so that Baldwin could have a badass scene, and he mm -hmm. steals the whole movie from <laughs> Jack Lemmon and Al Pacino. Come on. All right, last question. What is the most surprised a movie has ever left you? That's uh, open to interpretation. Um, Aaron? Uh, this is an easy answer for me. Um, the most surprised a movie has ever left me when it ended was Split. Um, the, oh, yeah. Uh, the ending of Split, um, I, I've talked about this maybe even here on this podcast, but certainly on other podcasts, uh, blew my mind. And it was one of those things where I just sat there and I was like, how did he pull this off? Like, how was this kept a secret? Not just in the typical way of people have seen this, how didn't they spread it, which by the way, they had, there'd been screenings of this movie at festivals yep. and it didn't like break in any big way. So that is miraculous, but more along the lines of how did the studio not pressure him into making that part of the selling point? Like, yep. and I think it's just because uh, I think he has a lot more, uh, individual power over his movies than most people do. And I, he had long talked about this idea for a, 
a sequel to Unbreakable, and he's always like, maybe I'll get around to it someday. So he planted a seed like years ago. Oh yeah. And then David Dunn shows up, and it's just like I, I literally sat there yelling at the screen. Oh no, you didn't. Oh no, you didn't. Oh no, you didn't. And it was so wild because uh, I was I had come through that movie going that was that was a pretty good movie, but I'm trying to understand certain parts of it didn't feel like a real world or something. And then as soon as I saw David Dunn, I was like, it all makes sense now. The tone mm. fits perfectly with Unbreakable. The idea of this beast character fits in that world so well. There's even these winks to the train wreck in that movie, like mm. where you know uh, he goes back and uh, I think puts you know flowers there at the the train station. Like it's just like it just all fell into place. And I just it's so weird to have a twist ending not actually be about the movie as right. much as it is about the franchise which just i don't know that just blew my mind and i've never been that glass. surprised and then we got class yes. um yeah m night is in a unique position these days because after he sort of fell off after the village and lady in the water and, and he wasn't the the it kid anymore and had started taking some bad reviews i think he got into a place where he was mostly self-financing Mm -hmm. So he made that horror movie about the old people and the little kids. It's like a modern Hansel and Gretel, The Visit. I forget what it's called. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and the, it's The and Visit, then, you're right. So I think on Split, I wouldn't be surprised if he paid for that himself and could tell the studio, you're only distributing, um, so I'll put David Dunn where I want him. I know Glass was fully financed by M. Mm -hmm. Night, and he made so much money on that movie. <laughs> it's absurd. Um, there's so many good answers here. Uh, even in the chat, uh, we've got a lot of good answers. Uh, Firefly, the movie, the Serenity Firefly movie, yes. Um, unbreakable. Um, but mine is going to be Arrival for now. I'll go with Arrival because I struggled to fully... I, I, I knew what happened at the end of the movie. That mm -hmm. she had... That, that time had looped back around to help her solve the crisis. But right. I did not extrapolate that until we're in the hallway walking down, and I turn to Chris and I go, so that kid that died of cancer hasn't been born yet? And he's like, right. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it's a gut punch, man. Um, and, you know, that movie has a bunch of different deep takeaways you can talk about for forever but that realization i remember that hallway i remember mm -hmm. exactly where i was and i'll remember it forever where i just went oh no that just that also means this she's going mm -hmm. to intentionally have a kid that's oh no um <laughs> all right everybody uh thanks uh to the chat as always for coming out we appreciate you you're here every week and you make our discussion livelier and uh we will see you next week at our normal time Tuesday at 11 Central Standard Time for the Artifice Girl uh, interview podcast with Franklin Rich, writer, star, and director. And I loved it. It's probably one of my favorite podcasts I've ever been a part of. I can't wait to share it. Please try to see this movie. Uh, and I will join you in the chat next week, and uh, we'll get her done. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> um, we'll see you guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Click Bye. the button. 
a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or CinemaSins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. chapter today from a new book called burn it down Mm. that is about uh the making of lost and how toxic that set became apparently i knew there was stuff I, i knew there was some behind the scenes stuff with um echo um the yes the character Echo, that's all I knew about any kind of behind the scenes uh, tough stuff. Yeah, I'm always interested in that stuff. Um, I, also kn- I also knew there was some, uh, some animosity developed between the showrunners and the, net- and the network or the higher ups or whatever because they just wouldn't let them finish the story. Um, and a lot of people credit that show with kind of the new era of defined storytelling you know Mm. Um, because before that if you had a hit show they're just gonna make you keep making more seasons um no matter if it messes you know i mean look at x-files right like x-files was a great five season show was a terrible 11 season show most shows should probably just stick with five it feels right doesn't it like four or five seasons feels like doing everything you need to do unless you're a really formulaic sitcom or something right but like some of the greatest shows ever that we talk about all were in that range, right? I think The Sopranos went seven, maybe six. Yeah. Breaking Bad went six, I think. Um, The Wire went five. Um, So yeah, it does seem to be, and I I generally get tired of shows at that point anyway, even if they Mm -hmm. don't stop, if they just like, even lost by the end, I was only watching to find out what, the answers were going to be and that's Uh, not what the creators were interested in telling you so that was very frustrating (laughs) excerpt is talking about the writer's room and apparently it was very toxic hazing uh, openly racist writer's room hazing is is weirdly built into the structure of any time there's you know uh people have been somewhere for a while and then new people come it's like Here's how we're going to make you earn your stripes. Everybody's been through it. At the end of the day, it'll make us all tighter as a group. And because we've all been through it, it's it's cult behavior. There's a lot of like cultness to it. It is. I mean, and you, you do it in sports. You yeah. do it in um, jobs. I remember at the movie theater, we used to make all new employees refill the water fountain. Mm-hmm. Just to see how long they would carry pitchers of water over to the water fountain, <laughs> thinking they were actually filling it. And that's that's pretty harmless, right? But that's but still it's a lighter form. version of the same thing, right? I know sports wise, I played a lot of basketball uh, in high school, and I remember there's a grossness to like entering that environment where it's like, you know, you're the you're the new guy. Everybody's everybody's gonna pee on you in the shower, you know, like that kind of yeah. like that kind of thing. Where it's just like, what are we doing? And so by the time I was you know, a junior or senior, I was like, nah, n- not interested. And so, and it still happened. I just, you know, wasn't involved. 
It's so weird how human nature is like, this makes sense. <laughs> we'll we'll defile somebody to make them feel welcome into our group. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, it, it, they do it in fraternities. It's all it's all about power, right? Isn't it? Like ultimately about control and power. <sighs> It is about control and power, but I think if you were to really dig into the motives of the of the people, I think they, many of them at least, really believe they are doing something valuable for the group. Like they really believe it will result in some sort of cohesion and you know tighter bonding. Um, you know, I mean, the military is the prime example of this. I don't they know. Give it's all the new guys the worst jobs, and yeah. And, they, and you hear comedians talk about it all the time too like even you know not so uh far back it, it really was something where it's like yeah we'd never say this in public but we call each other all sorts of names and you know like we because we're friends like because we're friends we can do that and like i there's just always been something in me with this like yeah but how do i know i'm not really hurting you like how do i know like it, even if my motive is hey buddy buddy i'm gonna rib you by getting as you know uh, terrible as I can get, like how do I know I'm I'm actually not doing damage? And so it's just yeah. it was hard for me. Um, I feel like the outtakes with you and I are going to be a lot more deeply philosophical <laughs> than the outtakes with Chris and I, where we talk about sports. Do you want to? Do you not want to talk about how the the Tigers are under 500 and almost leading their division? Do you know? Do you? <laughs> How how rapidly do you follow the Tigers? Not to I am I am not a fair weather sports fan. In other words, I love the teams I love. I always have, and they will be my teams, you know, forever. Um, however, I am a fair weather sports enthusiast. Viewer. In other in other words, the better my teams do, the more involved I am in watching them, rooting them on those kind of things. So when yeah, that's fair. when the Tigers started to get the sniff of a win streak here and a win streak there and you know, um, and th thankfully being in maybe the worst division in the history of sports. Uh, yeah, I'm paying a little bit more attention. Um, you know, prime example, the Pistons started off their NBA season with a great win. Like all the young players looked great. They beat Orlando and then they by far had the worst record in the entire NBA by the end. So like I was into it for like a week and then I was like, oh, I'll check back in when they're actually good. Yeah. <laughs> so. What I'm basically doing is replacing Friends reruns being on my TV in the background <laughs> while I do my day with the Orioles right. game being right. in the background. And if the announcer goes wild, I look over, I'm like, yeah, home run. Yeah. But I'm not like, my, my folks, God love them, they're retired. They've got plenty of time. They hang on every pitch um you know of every game they're just that that invested and i'm sure when i'm their age i will be also that invested in something yeah i don't know it's it technology has changed all that right like i remember listening to games on the radio with my dad like it didn't matter if the tigers were doing well or not you just you know you threw on the the game on wjr uh 760 a.m and you just listened to the game but it, you know they're the options were so much more limited, limited. The internet didn't exist when I was a kid. So, you know, it literally yeah. was, oh my goodness, the game's on TV. Oh, it's not. Well, then we can just, you know, tune it into the radio. Um, I mean, so I grew up in Baltimore and we moved away when I was six. Uh, I went to a handful of games, loved the Orioles. Uh, the whole family did, but then we moved to Indiana. There's no baseball team there. And this is the, you know, 1981. So, Baseball for me in elementary school was the Cubs because they played every single game on Channel 9 
and the Braves because they played mm-hmm. a lot of games on TBS. Yeah, the super stations, um, WGN and yeah. TBS. Yeah. So I would, that's all the baseball I would watch, but I would still get out my baseball cards for the, mm-hmm. for the active roster and switch them out when they would pinch hit. And I didn't even care about these teams, but I, I, loved, I loved baseball that much. Do you still have sports cards? I actually do. Hilariously, I walk by them every day because they are in a box uh, in my garage uh, next to my car. My brother went back after college and pillaged our family's best. Like, there's a baseball that my parents, my grandparents got signed by every member of the Orioles uh, in 1983. I want to say it was the World Series year. They, they, it was during the regular season. But they gave it to us. My brother and I, and my brother just claimed it. It's like, <laughs> that's going to be mine. I'm going to make that mine. There's an app you can download where you take a picture of your card and it'll tell you the, you know, the most, like the average value of what it's been sold for on eBay within the last, you know, two oh, years or whatever. And you can add it to your collection. Like you get to add like 60 cards free and then you pay a monthly, you know, fee if you want to do more than that kind of thing. Um, so I was going through some of my old sports cards. Well, I started collecting basketball cards because I was, again, a huge basketball fan and mm-hmm. player. And uh, and so I started collecting basketball cards in the late 80s, the year after the Jordan rookie card that is now worth oh. $250,000 because so few of them uh, were made, uh, the Fleer 86 uh, Jordan rookie card. So I've got some from the next few years that are, you know, they have val- like 100 to $200 worth of value. And when the last dance came out, those cards just like skyrocketed for Mm. whatever reason. So it kind of like, you know, breathed new life into basketball cards, but I just keep them, you know, like I have four, uh, four or five, like pristine Jordans from like, uh, 89, 90 that are probably worth a hundred bucks each, you know, kind of things. But my baseball cards are almost entirely Alan Trammell. Like I just collected oh, yeah. every True. single Alan Trammell baseball card, um, which his rookie card also has Paul Molitor on it, and they're both oh, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so it's not a bad card, and I have a pretty decent one. But I mean, you can find that card for fifty to seventy-five bucks, and it's like a rookie card for two Hall of Famers, <laughs> like before nineteen eighty. It's wild. My son got paid for a pizza with a dollar uh, or a, I think it was a, a dollar gold coin. Or something like that was was part of the payment or whatever, and uh, he was like, "Sure." And then he asked if he could change it out in the you know till or whatever, which you're totally allowed to do. So he put in a, a dollar and you know took that coin or whatever. Comes to find out, it's worth two thousand dollars because oh gold has gone up in value since that coin was was minted. And so he's like, "I think I made a good decision uh, oh, to buy that yes. for a dollar." I was like, oh, "Yeah, he yes. still got it. He hasn't turned. He hasn't like sold it or anything, but he's still got it." That same person came back and did it again, and uh, he said, "If I had been the one taking it, I might have said something, but I wasn't. So somebody else, you know, took it for payment. I saw it in there. I was like, "Hey, can I buy this one from the company?" They were like, "Yeah." So now he's got two of them. <laughs> This poor person, this poor person probably got like left from like a, you know, a a relative or something. Yeah. Like someone here is like, oh, these dollar gold coins, I guess I'll use (laughs) them. (laughs) They're worth like $2,000 each.